Hello, I'm Dr. Amalia Gondas Malka. Welcome to Womanity Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self emancipation, human rights, democracy, and much more. Joining us today is Professor Adele De Vega, who lectures in the School of Computing in the College of Science, Engineering and Computing at the University of South Africa, UNISA. She is also chair of the Research Ethics Committee for the College of Science, Engineering and Computing, and is a member of UNISA's Research Ethics Committee. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me. It's an honor to speak to you and to all our colleagues and, and women. Thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. To begin with, uh, Prof. Vega, computing is a fundamental of modern day living, both in urban as well as uh, rural settings. Communication, transportation, medicine, home appliances, industrial processes, banking, it factors into all of these elements. And your particular areas of interest seem to focus on information security, culture, management, awareness, as well as IT governance, business process mapping, and data privacy, to to mention a few. Please, can you tell us about some of the research projects that you've worked on or supervised that you feel have made a, a significant contribution to the discipline? Yes, we have various projects that we work on, and I think the the greatness of working in a university is that the staff can initiate their own research projects, but we also work with the students and specific projects and interests that they have. So the subject area that I work in mostly is, as you said, it's in information security culture. So this is a very unique uh, field that we work in, and it focuses on the human elements specifically, which would be the employee or the end user in an organization. And they have interaction with the information and technology in the organization. And that interaction has to be in line with the information security policies of the organization to make sure that we protect data and that we don't introduce incidents in the organization. But the employees have certain perceptions and values and attitudes when they interact with the information and that influences their behavior. So over time, that becomes the culture in the organization, what we do with information, what information we can email, um, how we respond to the policies, do we make backups or not? And sometimes that can result in a weak link in the organization where either by negligence or uh, it could be um, errors from the end user size, it introduces risks and sometimes data breaches in the organizations. For example, if an employee clicks on an email that comes in with a hyperlink, it takes him to a website and from there it introduces a virus to the organization's network. So we call it um, social engineering. So it results in high data breaches, there's legal costs, um, it influences the reputation of the organization, these types of breaches. So we focus on the human element to say, how should we address this? How can we change the culture so that it's conducive to the protection of the organization's information? So we, for example, developed an information security culture assessment questionnaire, which the employees complete. We do an assessment, um, we identify recommendations, and then we repeat this assessment in a year or two. And we found with the statistics we've done that when an organization then implements these corrective actions, it significantly improves the culture and the way that the employees 
focus and, and interact with the systems. So that's one um, side of the project that we work on in terms of the employee behavior. Then we also focus a lot on data privacy with the Protection of Personal Information Act. So since the act's been um, commenced in, in July 2021, all organizations that process personal information must comply. So they need to implement processes and controls and policies and train their employees and make sure that the data they collect of um, customers or employees, that that's in compliance with the Protection of Personal Information Act. So we've done a study, for example, where we found that South Africans have a very high expectation of privacy. And in some cases, even higher than what the protection of personal information, um, the controls and, and requirements of the Act. But we also found that the South Africans feel and they perceive that their privacy rights are not always uphold by organizations. So there's a bit of a gap in terms of their expectation for privacy and how they perceive their confidence in organizations for meeting that expectation. So if they feel that organizations are not meeting their privacy expectations, it could also mean that the organization is not in compliance with the Protection of Personal Information Act. So they might be sharing information with third parties. You receive a lot of unsolicited contacts through your phone for marketing, um, those type of things. So, so we're busy with these type of projects to measure the culture in information security, but also from a privacy perspective to see what can organizations do further to improve the protection of the information from both angles. And then there's many other research projects. Um, it could either be management or governance or security awareness, but the variety is so wide from technical to non-technical research projects that we engage with with the students. Such an interesting line of work that you're in and has so many applied aspects. And the other thing that I was thinking about was a few years back, this wouldn't have even been a discipline or, or a field, but the way our world is evolving, it's essential. It is, it is. And it's good that we in South Africa now have a, a law that gives us conditions for the protection of information because previously it wasn't mandated by law to consider the security in terms of the confidentiality, the integrity, the availability of information that we process. But now it's um, part of one of the conditions in the the short for um, the Act is the Poppy Act. So it also gives organizations that angle to say, but from a legal perspective, we need to protect our customer and personal information. But it also means we as citizens, we need to know about it. We need to know what our rights are. And we need to educate ourselves so that we we know what can and cannot be done with our information. Um, so it's also important from a citizen perspective that we are aware of these things um, to protect our own information. You're 100% right. Thinking about the work that you do, what would you say is the most rewarding aspect of your job? You know what? It is extremely rewarding to see how a student develops. Um, from the first time that they submit their proposal for a research project and the way that they write and the way that they think. And at the end, when they walk across the stage and they have delivered this thesis or dissertation that makes a contribution to society, the way that their writing skills and argumentation develops over the 
two or three or four year course that they work on this study, it's phenomenal. Some of the students come and they write a proposal of two, three pages and nothing makes sense. And the references are not there. The, the gap or the problem statement is not there. The English writing style is not right. And at the end, when they deliver this thesis, which they publish in international journals, it's phenomenal. And they've made a contribution to society. And I think also for the individuals, for the students to see how they have progressed, um, it's it's wonderful. Um, the other aspect that that I specifically enjoy is when you are in academia, you have so much opportunity to be innovative, to identify new things, to come up with your own projects. It's not the client asking you to deliver something specific or to um, respond to a request for proposal like an industry. You identify your own space and your own research where you can make a difference. And that's rewarding. It's nice to be creative and, and innovative and to see where you can make a difference. So it's it's rewarding in terms of living out what is important to you. And the academia provides you that space. So I really enjoy that. And in the innovation aspect, it's always stimulating and your field is progressing at a rate of knots. What would you say have been some of the most exciting developments uh, in information security currently? So the, the one aspect that I mentioned a bit is the, the human factor. And it's very interesting. They've done a study recently where they found that 74% of the breaches in organizations have involved the human aspect. So although we're moving towards artificial intelligence and we've got firewalls and we've got um, network controls and antiviruses, 74% of these incidents that occur or where there's a data breach, the human or the employee was involved. Um, and it's also interesting, they found that 83% of the organizations have experienced multiple data breaches. So it's not as though in South Africa, no organization is experiencing a breach. We are experiencing breaches in, in South Africa, and Africa is targeted also by cyber criminals and syndicates. So we need to be aware of this. We need to protect our information, and we need to be wary that these things do happen. And um, we do have external hackers and so that also um, attack the networks, but they use the, the end user and the employee. So there's lots of research and they call it the human socio-technical aspect of information security, which is a very nice area to work in because it's not that technical and it's focusing on the human and behavior side of, of employees and end users in general. The other area that we have a lot of emphasis on now is, and it's not a specific research area of myself, but of the university it is, is the artificial intelligence. So we do find that this is an area that's progressing a lot. Um, it's in our cars, it's in our medical devices. Um, we have it in robots um, working um, for medical procedures, chatbots. But we're also familiar with it because if you play a chess game online, there's also artificial intelligence embedded there. There's lots of research going in this area to say, but if we do distance education, how do we incorporate artificial intelligence? Can we perhaps 
look at the different levels that a student is in a specific subject and provide content that's appropriate to that level and skill of the student so that they all progress at their own level and skill until they all reach the, the requirement of the outcome for that module. Uh, maybe looking at adaptive assessments for those different scenarios, um, looking at language skills for students and how that can be improved with artificial intelligence, specifically with all the different languages we have in South Africa. Um, but there's also work required in the governance. We need policies. We need to look at um, what are the boundaries? When can students use ChatGPT to write their research proposal? And to also educate them, it's it's a source like any other internet source that one would use, um, but you cannot copy and paste it like with any other source. And it's interesting, and I'm not sure if 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 all the um, users of ChatGPT know, but the the database is only up to September 2021. So anything after that might not be included. So all the propriety publishers like Elsevier and Emerald Journals, those are not included in the database. So one would still need to go through the library sources to actually access those peer-reviewed scientific information that you don't necessarily have access to on the internet. Another area is research ethics. Um, how do we incorporate ethics in artificial intelligence? And um, when is it ethical to use information or not? And what information should you copy and paste into ChatGPT? Because then it's not confidential anymore the moment you put your organization's information there or your own medical history. Um, it can be used by the developers then to teach the AI models. So this is a very big research area and it doesn't necessarily have to be technical. Um, one can also focus on the ethics side or the governance side, for example. On that ethics side, thinking about what you were saying earlier about protection of personal information and the fact that 74% of breaches are because of humans, doesn't that have massive implications when thinking about ChatGPT and, as you said, either importing your own personal information, not being aware consciously that actually you've just plugged into the entire network of this large language model, but also your company data? Uh, do you see that as almost potentially going to cause more breaches? It might. Um, I think we as humans, and, and uh, that is where the difficulty comes in, our own personal ethics framework differ from person to person and culture to culture and country to country. So for me, it might be ethical to do something. For someone else, it might not be. So one would need to draft those policies and organization and to say, but but what do we allow our employees to do and what don't we allow them to do? And then you might still find that your employees deviate from that because they still feel it's the right thing to do. I have to share the information. If we look at the different generation groups and the generation Y might feel, but of course I can share this information about my friend or my company, about our profits, and maybe I can improve um, maybe a um some of our IP or products, if I share this, where a different generation, um, maybe the, the baby boomers would feel, how can you do this? It's it's not um, allowed. So one also needs to look at the different generational groups and see, but how did their um, perceptions differ and, and how should we prepare for that and have our policies and guidelines in place to give them direction? Wow. And we live in a, a multi-generational environment. 
Today, we're talking to Professor Adele DeVega, who lectures in the School of Computing in the College of Science, Engineering and Computing at the University of South Africa, UNISA. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Prof. DeVega, you have had a split career, one part in industry, particularly in the consulting space, addressing data privacy, and another career in academia. You've worked across different countries, South Africa, the UK, Hungary, Poland, Czech Republic, and Mozambique. Please tell us about what prompted your shift to go from corporate and public sector, corporate and public sector into academia. I think what we need to remember as we progress throughout our life is we go through different stages. And after leaving school, we many of us have the opportunity to, to progress to a postgraduate or a higher education. And then from there, we enter industry. And at a certain point in our lives, we change and, and we might get married and we have a family and our children are young and then they get older and you're sort of on your own again. So... When we look at our careers, we need to remember that we we are not the job. We are a person and we do not only live for the career that we have, but we have different facets that we need to balance at all times. So when I started off with my career, I worked at an auditing um, tax and advisory company and it was a brilliant environment to start after university. They have very good training programs for, for young students entering the industry. And you learn so much skills from moving from university to corporate, things that you didn't understand at university and in suddenly an environment and, and you need to make decisions and you learn about um, how businesses work. And, and it's different to looking at theoretical work at university. Um, when I did that, uh, I was not married yet. And it was very nice um, initially to start and to just give it your all and all your hours and all your time. And, and you make um, progress and you learn so fast. And when I got married, I suddenly had this conflict. Do I still want to travel overseas? And um, can my husband come with me? And I must say at that point in time, um, it's difficult to then start to balance these different expectations in your life. And I still continued working in industry. And then I had a family and I also enrolled full-time for my PhD. And I never realized how much time it would take from me to have two little babies. Um, and I was under the impression that while I work full-time, I'm going to enroll for my PhD. And while I'm on maternity leave, I can write a few chapters. And the... Um, realization hit me when the little baby was there and there wasn't even time to brush my teeth and then I realized you know I've got to now find a way to balance um, family and work and studies and all these different expectations and um, at a point in time you do find a balance but um, for me it it got a bit hard um, and I'd be honest and I don't think we're always honest with ourselves it is tough. It is hard. Um, when I enrolled for my PhD, I was working full-time and I felt pregnant with my first child. And when I graduated from my PhD, my second son, or my son was the second baby, he was already three months old. So in that time, I, I had my two children and I worked full-time and I was doing my PhD and, and it's tough. Um, and then at a point in time when they were a little bit older, I looked for an environment that's more flexible. 
Um, and I found that the academia provided me a little bit of a more of a balanced uh, lifestyle. And um, up to now, it's still working for me. And I think it also differs from, from place to place in the different corporate environments. But um, I found that the academia provided me that little bit more flexibility and to have a balanced lifestyle and, and to meet all the different expectations that we as women have. I liked what you said about this idea of evolution and about doing different things that are aligned to our different needs as we progress and that we don't have to have this myopic fixed mindset of this is where I'm going and this is what I'm going to do and this is what I'm going to do forever because the world changes, our lives change and having that aspect of, of adaptability to, to make things um, work for you I think so. It's a really refreshing perspective. Given your exposure on, let's say, different different sides of the, the, the career spectrum, could you tell us about some of the, let's say, almost unexpected career opportunities available to women within the cyber or tech environment that you are a part of? From a tech perspective, there are a range of opportunities. So, so if if one considers it's the STEM area, which is the science, technology, and engineering field, um, there are technical opportunities where one could progress in coding, for example, your Java and networks and penetration testing. And there are many firms that offer those type of entry level um, jobs to to students. So one could either move from a technical side, or one could look at something that's more in a risk management, a governance, a data privacy, or even a legal side with the different information, communication, technology, laws that we have. Um, I'm also finding that there is a lot of opportunity in ethics from um, research. How do we work with participant data? How do we protect the privacy of data participants? What can we and can we not do with data? And it it extends to telecommunications and banking and industries and with insurance where we have the data and what can we do in our data analysis with the information. So there is the data privacy side, but there's also the ethics side to that. And many organizations have ethics committees and all the universities also. And they have a team of reviewers and a research ethics chair and where they work through all these applications and and make sure that um, the data is protected. what is also a really nice place to look at for for different opportunities and careers is if you look at the different types of certifications that one get. For example, if you look at the ISACA um, website, it's a very good place for students and women to look at what are the certifications that are out there and to do that as an additional enhancement, which will also open up doors for different types of technology or non-technical roles in security or governance or IT. Um, And there are many of those um, types of certifications. There's also privacy certifications that one can do or ITIL certifications. Um, But then I think one would also need to realize if you are at um, academia, there's various roles that one could be. One could focus on teaching and tuition, but there's also the managerial roles where one could progress from a lecturer 
to professor, one could look at roles like a um, department head, um, a dean, the vice principals, um, and there's different operational divisions also in a university, like the risk and compliance and audit, which you also get in industry. So there's so the field is so wide, um, and there's so much opportunities that that one just needs to look for it, um, and then search and, and and apply and and start off with with something which will always take you to the next level. One of the areas that we always look at in this program is aspects of inequality. And absolutely, women's participation in the labor force is essential. It's got a wave of, of different macroeconomic contributions. But often there are stark inequalities, whether it's from a point of underrepresentation, whether it's aspects of unequal pay, uh, unequal opportunities. Um, in your view, what are some of the, the remedies that you feel could be implemented to help address inequality in the workspace mm-hmm. and potentially with that tech lens? This, this is so true what you're saying. And, and maybe to emphasize it even more is we found there's such studies that have been done that shows that the cybersecurity workforce is only represented by 25% women. And in Africa, that is only 9%. Um, if, if we look at the, the overall workforce, it, we have a 39% representation of women in the workforce. So lots of work is required in Africa specifically to change that 9% so that we can have more women in cybersecurity and in the technology um, space. Why we need to do that is if we have a diverse workforce, we have diverse skills which will contribute to address the risks that we have. Um, they, for example, found that that if we incorporate women in our labor market, we could increase the productivity um, of organizations, um, even with a 10% growth in the African economy, if we can provide more avenues for women to, to be part of the workforce. And they estimate that at least one trillion US dollars were lost from the GDP of low and middle income countries in the last 10 years by excluding women. So for the industry and for the countries to grow and, and to prosper, we need to have a diverse workforce, but we need to include it on different levels. So in Africa, we've got specific challenges with literacy, with digital access, with resources, with society, expectations of women. Um, So we need to address it on various levels. So one of the levels um, that's that's critical is starting at school, starting at a young age, to change the perception of the opportunities that there is for girls in the technology environment to have, for example, cybersecurity as a subject at school, and to also include things like diversity training at school level, literacy training um, with an emphasis on that, and cyberbullying, um, and those themes to be incorporated in our school curriculums. Um, and there's various things that we can do at schools, and there's also education for the parents and the teachers so that they know that um, there's opportunities for, for students and girls. 
Um, then if we move to university level, um, incorporating some of the cybersecurity modules as capstone modules, encouraging role models and mentoring for the students, having outreach programs to schools, apprenticeships, um, and, and providing funding and opportunity for, for girls specifically. Um, for example, at UNISA, we've got a women in research funding that women can apply for, for specifically funding the research that they undertake and to have more of those um, programs at a university level. Um, in an organizational level, there's also many things that organizations can do. If we look at the recruitment process, for example, to train recruiters and to make sure that there's not bias and that the adverts are gender neutral. And they found in studies that women will only apply for a job if they believe they meet all the requirements in the job application, where men don't do that. They apply even if they don't meet everything. So it's important that in our job adverts, we specify, but what are the compulsory skills that's required for this job? And that we sometimes recruit also for aptitude and that they are training in career paths for women in the organization. Um, so that's looking a little bit at the at the recruitment stage, but there's also leadership training and diversity that we need in our organizations. Um, the, the management and the leadership of equity and having uh, emotional intelligence outlook from our leaders that we can embrace um, for diversity in the organization and um, to implement equity across. We need to have those policies and structures in the organization to say that if we have a diverse workforce, what would a policy for diversity and fairness and equity look like? Should there be a return to work policy for women if they went on maternity leave? And what would that look like? And what is a work-life balance policy? And do we have a parental leave policy in the organization? Is there perhaps a care facility for children that the organization provide? Um, flexible work hours. So there are so many facets that, that one can look at. And we've developed a model that traces from school level right through to university and all the levels in the organization to try and address these things um, from a gender perspective so that we, we include women on all levels. But also we as women, we need to also look at our perspective and our values. Um, do we advocate ourselves? Do we have courage to apply? Did we educate ourselves? What is our perspective? If, if my perspective is that I am a house mom and I need to spend all my time at, at home, then I cannot blame it on anyone else. I need to make a perspective, a change in my perception to say, but I can contribute to society. I can contribute to industry. And how am I going to do it? What would be acceptable for me, for my family? And, and then to enter and, and to drive those goals from, from a personal perspective as well. The efforts have to be both from an individual point of view, as you're saying, looking at shifting mindsets if necessary, but also from an environment and uh, a, a corporate setting where organizations are actively trying to transform and open their systems to, to accept women. You're a member of a number of different organizations, the International Association of Privacy Professionals, the Information Systems Audit and Control Association, um, the South African Institute for Computer Scientists and Information Technologists, 
on top of your day job. So can you tell us a little about some of your involvement with these types of structures and, and the benefits that they give you? Yes, yes. The ISANCO and the International Association of Privacy Professionals, in both of those, I did a certification. So once you get your certification, you join the membership and you do your continuous professional educational hours every year to remain a member. Um, so what's good of these certifications is that you continuously improve yourself. You continuously educate yourself in the latest developments. And you need to submit um, evidence of that on an annual basis to these educations. So it's good to continuously in your career educate yourself and to advance your skills and, and to learn new things. So, so these societies provide you with that. Um, they also have conferences that you can attend and where you can network and where you can learn the latest developments and where you can participate as a presenter, for example. So it's good to participate in, in, in these industry um, opportunities that there are for memberships. From an academic side, there are international conferences in various subject areas um, on an annual basis. So, so one of that would be the human um, socio-technical conferences that I participate in, which is called HISA. And what's good about these is you're part of the program committee. So you help to review um, the latest research and to participate in the organizing of the conferences, to network. And from there, you you meet people to do research with, to have as examiners for students to collaborate with. And we have to participate in these um, initiatives. There's also other type of initiatives that women can consider. There's, for example, the cyber heroines of African women in cyber defense that they can join and they share success stories. They um, act as mentors. There's the no before you in um is worldwide and in South Africa and they even provide scholarships for women um in, in cybersecurity and awareness materials and networking. There's the cyber cafe and there's also awards that are offered um, and done globally for, for women involvement. So it's good for us to participate and network in these forums. It sounds as though you have exposure through the forums, you've got opportunities for collaboration, opportunities for growth, and connecting to people not just within a local context, but on, on a global context. And all of these facets, whether it's uh, the social capital that you gain from it or actual working capital, really mm -hmm. seems to help uh, evolve development and is an important part of, of career development. It is, it is. It's it's good to network with international um, colleagues or academic or students from different societies. You constantly learn. And one thing that I saw is we are not that far behind the rest of the world. Sometimes they are behind and they can learn from us. So one shouldn't think that you are not competent when you participate in these forums. There's always something that someone can also learn from you. So it is definitely something that I would encourage women to, to undertake. Initially, you might um, feel that it is a daunting thing to participate in international forums and discussions, but you learn and they will also learn from you. Prof. Vega, I wish we had 
more time. There are so many more questions that I wanted to ask you, but we are unfortunately running out of, of time today. So lastly, as we close out today's conversation, could you share a few words of inspiration or motivation that you'd like to pass on to women and girls who are listening to us? Yes, um, I think it's important that we as women set goals for ourselves, but you need to drive it. You shouldn't wait for someone else to drive the goals for you. And so you need to start. Once you set your goals, you just have to start with the goal. The moment we start with something, the next action sort of falls into place. Um, and you need to work hard in all areas of your life, not only your career, not only the big things, but also the small things, because it builds up and there's progression. Um, for me, it's important that you have an anchor in your life. And for me specifically, it's God. I believe he's given us all talents and he will also give us the strength to build and to progress in our talents. So trust in him and it gives purpose to your life. And also remember, you're not alone. There are many people around the world and women that face the same challenges and barriers. And we do not always share that with each other. Sometimes we even hide it from ourselves. But if you realize that there are challenges, it's good to become aware of that and to then do something about it. And it might not be a qualification or a management position that will show you the success. It might be something small. Maybe you made a change in someone else's life. Maybe you encouraged someone or took care of someone. And that's also success. So sometimes we need to change our perspective of what is success and what we define that for ourselves. And we have to remember that maybe every day is not a good day, but there is something good in every day. So look for that and then have courage and embrace every day. What a wonderful message. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been great chatting to you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity, and we've been talking to Professor Adele De Vega, who lectures in the School of Computing in the College of Science, Engineering and Computing at the University of South Africa. 